Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. People were nice. I yes. said, I normally don't make caveats like that if I post on social because I'm like, you can come at me. That's OK. Yeah. I'm going to post something. That's OK. You can come at me for like an opinion I have, not yeah. like because of how I look. Yeah, but I posted because today I walked into the studio with my real hair for the first time in about three years. Looked great. I was feeling a little vulnerable about it. And, you know, it's short and straight, which is not something I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And I, and um I posted it on social media at Jordana Verde. So, and I said, but this is one time, and people are so mean to me on social media. I I don't care. People are mean to everybody. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's social media. It's kind of a cesspool. But um, I said, don't be mean to me about the hair. Like that, you don't have to be so judgy about my hair. It's taken me three years to grow this hair. I love the hair, but my God, that top. It's (laughs) awful. Right? Yeah. I mean, like that. I don't need that. Really, George? That shade lipstick? No. I mean, but people are being nice. I'm looking at it now. (laughs) Nearly 68 million American adults, that's about one in four, plan to bet on this year's Super Bowl. The volume of betting is anticipated to be 35% higher than last year, which was the previous record. Uh, uh, A lot of this prediction because the game is being held in Las Vegas for the first time. Adam, uh, will you be one of those one in four American adults putting some money down on this weekend's game? It's all about environment. Like So there was, I think, two years in a row where my ex-wife and I, when we were still married, went to Vegas for Super Bowl weekend. By the way, that's a fun place to be even when the Super Bowl isn't in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine this weekend in Las Vegas for Super Bowl weekend. It must just be crazy. Crazy. Lawlessness. Just, (laughs) you know, TNA everywhere on the street. Sort of like Minneapolis. Yeah, sort of like Minneapolis. (laughs) But no, but like if I were in Vegas or at a sports book, of course, you know, and like for me, it's not just a straight up bet on the game. Like, hey, who do you think is going to win? It's the prop bets that are great. You know, how long will the national anthem last? Usually they have how many times will they cut to Taylor? Oh, yeah, for right? sure. Come on. What will she be wearing? Yep. Absolutely. Those, that's the those, fun part. Those are the fun ones. What yeah. altitude will Taylor Swift's plane be flying at when she yes. flies from Tokyo to the Super Bowl? Correct. Will she be parachuting in <laughs> right. to make it for and the how game? And how much environment will she destroy? Yes. How much jet engine fuel? How many, how many CIA operatives will be with Taylor Swift? <laughs> when so, they make the announcement. Right. <laughs> so... That, that, those are the and again, yes, I know gambling, uh, sports gambling, still illegal in Minnesota. Please bet within your means if you're doing. But it's it's fun to have a friendly wager. Like my wife and I, we do wagers on pretty much every game now about like household chores. Oh, and you that's know what? Fun. One of them stuck. I was doing laundry again yes. yesterday. Now, yes. I argue. I was trying to think in my head. I think I'm up to like she might disagree with me. I, I think I do about forty percent of the laundry now. So, like, still, or you're still paying still, off that no, debt? Oh, no, the debt's long been paid. Oh, you just are but continuing now, it. Right. So uh, it changed. She is a smart woman. It changed she our uh, dichotomy there. That's right. Smart woman. You think and, that was her plan all the way yeah, along? She's like, if I can get him in the door, he's going to keep doing the laundry. Of course it was. I guess. But again, if I, she wouldn't have won the bet, it wouldn't have happened. 
And laundry probably isn't as bad as you think it is, right? It is, there, that's why. There is some – first of all, it's easy to do with these machines now. It's not like you're measuring right. bleach and whatnot. But And the folding is very satisfying. See, you, that's the part you, that I don't like. Oh, you don't like folding. folding. Okay. I, I actually don't mind it. The Minneapolis Park Board is looking into a bridge over the Mississippi River. It would actually be the first new bridge in the city in over 50 years. The proposed bike bridge would connect existing trails and provide another connection between north and northeast Minneapolis. Uh, they're just in the uh, investigation stage, but projected costs would be around $30 million for that bridge. Jordana, do you support this uh, significant investment in bike trails in Minneapolis. Yes. <laughs> wow, First you all, bar- You heard the cost and you barked yes. at that. Again, this is somebody who wants to spend $2 million just to study the bullet train that goes down to Rochester. So I'm all about spending money. The suck hole train. But uh, <laughs> What did we call it? The suck the hole? The big suck. The big suck. How do you get to Rochester? You suck. <laughs> you suck. Um... Just for a bike? Just for bikes and pedestrians, right? Yeah. Yep. So they could walk. Can you not walk over the 3rd Avenue Bridge? Um, I believe you yeah, can, can, but there are – there are. it's like the Greenway and another bike trail that basically meet at the river and there's uh-huh. no way to get across. You have to kind of go out of your way. So it would connect to larger bike Sure. It's, it's, I, want, I want a bridge. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Right. 30 mil, no side. problem. No. Okay. Uh, the purpose of biking is to get an exercise. So take. So what do you want them way. to swim? Well, for, no. <laughs> what? what if they're commuting on their bicycle? Well, I took issue with what you're saying, though. I don't mean to be tragedy in this, but first new bridge in 50 years. I the know. 35W bridge is a new bridge. Okay. Well, it's replacing an existing that. bridge, not uh, building. Building a new, a new bridge, bridge. I guess. At, at a new location. All right. Yeah. We're going to gloss over that. I didn't know you could like take exception to my quick takes. This is a new, Ooh, I, a new thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you get back. like two of those a week. Facts. Push back, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm all about the facts. Nah, no, just... Please, we have no facts. Headlines <laughs> and reaction. Uh, an overnight fire has destroyed the historic Lutzen Lodge on the North Shore, right on the shores of Lake Superior near Lutzen Resort. Adam, I know you've spent a lot of time in that area. Have you been to that actual Lutzen Lodge? Not unless I was younger. When I was younger and my parents took me there, I do not remember, which is strange. I've been to Lutzen many, many times. Usually it's up on the ski hill. Um, but, yeah, no, the lodge itself, which is on the lakeside of Highway 61, I, I don't believe I'd stepped foot in there. And I looked at Google pictures this morning, and it's beautiful, old, classic northern Minnesota lodge. I believe it was the first one built in, like, the 1880s. Uh, and it's sad and you know, they had a fire last year at Papa Charlie's, a place where I had been to many, many times. Certainly not a historic building, but it was, a, you know, their bar and restaurant there on, at Lutzen Hill. And they, I heard uh, Vanita talking to the general manager. They still don't know what caused that fire. So the good news here is that nobody was in this lodge, which is kind of surprising to me that, I mean, this is... Yeah, that is surprising. And thank God. Thank God, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Hopefully they can rebuild something, but, uh, you know, when you lose the classic structure, it's just, you can build it to make it look old, but it's just not the same. But, yeah, it's beautiful. Again, that's my favorite part of the state. It's the most beautiful part of the state, and uh, hopefully they can uh, rebuild something that resembles and reflects the area. I haven't been there. I'm sure it's stunning, and I look forward to going when Mm -hmm. they rebuild. 
Phone service providers are getting closer to phasing out landlines. Landlines. Last week, oh AT&T applied for a waiver that will allow them to stop serving traditional landlines in California. AT&T and Verizon also previously stated that they want to move to newer technologies in the next few years. This means that consumers will have to decide whether to give up their landlines or potentially face higher costs because of complex and expensive workarounds from other phone companies. Jordana, is America ready to move away from the landline? I think I'm the wrong person to ask because we do not have a landline. Nor do I. I. I think you have to ask the elderly. I really do because if this, these are also people that are vulnerable and if they're still living in their homes and they don't have a cell phone but need access to emergency services, I think that is the population or there needs to be some kind of a waiver for people who are too, you know, that's who you have to talk to too is yes. the emergency services people, police right. and fire and ambulance. I mean, right. I don't think they'd be behind that. They still want to be able to. Yeah, I can say all day. Sure, I never use it. You can absolutely. But there may be a, a real reason why certain populations really need it. Maybe more rural populations that don't have great cell service yet. Um, I I imagine there is a need for it somehow. I. I'm not smart enough to, to know the, what that there's is. There's a right lot now. of people that still, I, even people my age or even younger, probably still saying, no, nah, I still want that I, I don't blame safety them. net of the hard line. I don't blame them. Especially if you've got young kids and stuff. It's just like one of those things where it's like, man. And this is probably generational. Like, oh, totally. guaranteed that when our generation becomes be like, the seniors, yeah, we'll, we'll be much more comfortable with that. And certainly with our kids, they wouldn't even know how to dial a phone, you know? So, like, certainly not a rotary, but, um, I think that it's generational and maybe instead of a few years, they could wait 20 years until that generation no longer needs it. Somebody so pointing out that those landlines often go to a, they're wired into a cell tower anyway. So it's. Oh, okay. Again, I feel like I'm not smart enough about it, but. Yeah, that's. A few you wouldn't years think about that. You think it's still is, a hard line is wires quick. going everywhere. Well, right. a lot of landlines actually are use cell technology, including like the phone I answer here at the station. Yes. Like this is not no. like connected to a copper wire that goes down Correct. the street. This is cell yeah. technology. Right. And it looks like I'm, a landline, right. but it's but not. What I'm saying is if a, a, a person, maybe mostly a senior, doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't or right. doesn't use a cell phone yeah. or can't see a cell phone, never you know, heard. they need a means to be able to contact authorities. How are these kids nowadays? Okay, they so never knew what it was like, you know, to have call waiting. Or like a 75-foot cord where you could take the receiver all the way into your room and shut the door. Guys, oh my God. Get off the phone. I got boys calling me. With that cord you could wrap around your finger a million times and get all tangled in. I'm with you, my friend. Uh, When we get back, we will talk about Americans with disabilities and how you can help next. I am grateful every day that I can get up, I can come to work, I can see you guys on Zoom, and I understand it is a gift to be able to move around, to be able to drive, to be able to walk where I need to walk. Not everybody is as lucky with those gifts. Andrea Zuber is the executive director of ARC Minnesota. ARC's mission is to promote and protect human rights of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Andrea, we're so happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, tell us a little. I, I know you guys have a gala coming up, and we are going to talk about that in just a minute. But tell us a little bit about your work and why this is still necessary, because, you know, we have policies that are supposed to protect Americans with disability. So why is ARC's work still ongoing? 
Well, you know, the ARC has such a cool long history, right? We're a 75-year-old organization that was started by families who wanted a better life for their children who were living in state institutions at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? Overcrowded, filthy, terrible institutions. And the work of the ARC has evolved over the last 75 years because as people started to move out into community-based services, they started facing a lot of barriers and a lot of ableism from the community. And families were exhausted and they were isolated and they needed a lot of support to figure out how are we going to be able to keep our kids at home after decades and, quite frankly, centuries of having people with disabilities living in institutions. So the ARC worked really hard to create our current home and community-based service delivery system. There are a lot of wonderful advances and protections that we have been able to make in the disability community. And still, it is a struggle for people to truly, truly be included, to truly be able to move into having a home of their own, which is going to be the focus of our gala, to have a job of their own, um, and to really have autonomy and freedom and be liberated. So it's a different fight that we're working on right now, but there's still a lot of work to do to make sure people with disabilities are truly integrated and can lead their best life in the community. Andrew, you talked about the advancements that have been made. What's the most significant advancement in your estimation as to people uh, allowing people uh, who are developmentally disabled, intellectually disabled, to become independent? over the last, let's say, 10 years? Over the last 10 years, there has been a really strong movement from the disability community, people with disabilities themselves, who have been saying, you know, because of the, like, say, the Education Act that allowed me to get a free and public education and go to school alongside my peers, and because of, you know, in Minnesota, we don't have state institutions anymore, and I've been able to grow up in my neighborhood with my family and with my siblings and with friends and others. I have a really different vision for my life going forward as an adult than, say, previous generations have had. So these kids that were and now young adults who are the beneficiaries of really being able to be included in a really different way, they are going to college, they're moving into homes of their own, they're living with roommates, um, forming those really just important natural relationships and friendships like we all do, they're getting jobs. Um, And so it's just been so amazing to see over the last 10 years, these younger generations that have been the beneficiary of that really coming into their own and kind of claiming a very different way that they want to live their life than their than the generations that came before them. That's awesome, Andrea. I mean, it's I mean, think really, about that. How good? How, yes. how we? You know, we talk about where areas in society where we seem to be sliding, but this was one where absolute. I mean, where we've come so far. Yes. You know, these people to have independent lives. It's just remarkable. It is, and yeah. I know the focus of your gala, which is on uh, March second is going to focus on giving these adults, these, uh, you know, uh, Americans with disabilities, a home of their own. And, and Andrea, we're speaking with Andrea Zuber, the executive director of the ARC Minnesota. Um, I have a dear friend who has an adult son um, who has suffered with disabilities, and he's on disability. He's 24. And she said this year our goal is to... Uh, get him his own apartment because he can live independently, but he can't drive. So there are special, Mm -hmm. I'm learning all about this through my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, There are special dispensations where like disability will offer um, a certain amount for like lifts or Ubers, you know, a monthly amount if that person needs to get to 
uh, a job or somewhere where Metro Mobility isn't going. Like there are services out there. Are you having a, a hard time connecting the people who need them with the actual services or do, do, do there need to be more services? I think one of the things that we have in our state is just this amazing infrastructure that has been built up, but it is really complicated. It's really confusing. It's really broad. And the biggest thing that we hear from people is they just don't know how to navigate it. There's just so many different services, so many different supports, so many different funding streams to help people pay for the things like you were just talking about with your friends. And so what ARC does is we really help people unravel that. We help people navigate and take that path and go forward. Our team of of staff knows the services. They know the sports. They know the funding streams. They know the right doors to open. And, And through our housing services, we've built relationships with landlords in communities across the state, with public housing authorities. And so they just have a wealth of knowledge. And I think that's the biggest thing right now for families and people with disabilities. We hear from families all the time who are saying, this is the biggest thing I need to do next. I need to figure out how I can help my son or daughter move into a home of their own and have services and supports around them so that they'll be successful, right? Like I'm not going to be here forever and I really need to have this set up well. And so I think that's the biggest thing that people need is it's just complicated and wieldy and they need help navigating it and really getting through it over to that that ultimate goal. Andrea Zuber is executive director of the Art Arc Minnesota. Uh, the gala is March 2nd. Andrea, how do people get in touch with you and uh, how do they find out more information about the gala? We've got about 30 seconds left. So go to our website, uh, www.arcminnesota.org. Uh, All of the gala information is on there. You can buy tickets. We hope that everybody who hears this shows up to support this amazing cause. Um, and you can always give me a call as well. Um, our phone number is on our website, so feel free to reach out to me personally, and I would be happy to help you. Andrea Zuber, The Arc Minnesota, thank you so much uh, for coming on today and sharing the information. Thank you so much for having me. We do have some breaking news. We are now learning that former President Trump is not immune in the 2020 election interference case. That is according to an appeals court. Trump is also likely to ask the Supreme Court to try to intervene. Here's the latest from CBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. So Jeff Green, the great Jeff Green, my father, used to joke like when I went to Syracuse and he, my parents put me through school, thank God, I'm very grateful to this day. And he used to say, but just take classes that are going to be useful to you. Don't take classes like basket weaving or wine tasting. I took it and I've weaved some great baskets. And I took wine tasting and it's helped me to this day. took jazz studies. See, jazz studies, right. And so I think Jeff would like, if you're listening, if you guys are in Florida listening, Daddy, you would laugh because St. Paul Colleges is offer or St. Paul College is offering a class in pot. This makes me want to go back to college and learn more about this because friends, it's not like what my dad used to say. 
This is a burgeoning industry. We are talking about real jobs, real industry, real economic growth that has effects on our tax base, effects on our economy. And this is why this is a really important thing that they are now teaching in college. So, of course, I have a lot of questions about what they're learning in pot class. So joining us is Brady Maleka. Brady is the program manager for cannabis studies at St. Paul College. Brady, I am gl- so glad you're here on the show today with us. Yeah, thank you, Adam and Jordana. Excited to be here and talk a little bit more about our program. So, Brady, when you, when you say, yeah, St. Paul College is offering classes in pot, I know the jokes are plentiful and what have you, but tell us what you're teaching in these classes. Yeah, so all of our cannabis courses are based on uh, trends that we've seen at the national level. So we're still, um, as we're getting updates from the state on what's required for training and and those pieces, we've really honed in on three particular programs that really nationwide and other states that have gone recreational have seen uh, these these types of trainings for entry-level work. So we have three certificate programs. One is our cannabis cultivation specialist, and that's a little bit more on, uh, I would say, the manufacturing side where you are physically cutting the plant, uh, learning the processing that goes into it. Would that be growing it too? Oh. Nope. So all of our programs, and I'll talk a little bit more on that too, are, are online currently. So we teach folks literally just to get into the workforce at, at the ground level, that entry level. Um, we also have a retail specialist, which is working with clients to figure out what's the product that the client is best looking for. And then the last certificate program we have is extraction and product development, which is looking at dosages and how to really monitor those dosages. Let me ask you this, Brady, because you mentioned that this, you know, you're kind of waiting for the state and you need to be in line with what the state's doing. Speaking from my perspective and seeing what the state's doing, it seems a little clunky in the rollout and that, you know, we don't have a cannabis director. Uh, some people we've had, we've talked to business owners before who have cannabis businesses saying, we don't really know what, what we're expecting here from the state. What's your experience been? I mean, do you have a really kind of clear guidance as to what kind of roles, what kind of positions they'll be available and legally what, what will be available for people to, people to, um, you know, pursue? I would say yes and no. Um, of course, I can't speak for the Office of Cannabis Management. That um, I, I really don't hear anything else besides what, what gets promoted out to the public. So while we wait for specific trainings that we hear about uh, from that office, we are really looking nationwide to see what are those major career fields that folks could just get an entry-level start. Um, our intent with these programs is to not only let people know that we're offering these right now, um, but there are currently job openings within the medicinal field that people can get after completing these programs as well. So there's a nice crossover between what's currently legal, what folks can look for in terms of employment right now. And then the hope is that there's going to be these jobs out there because we all have heard from the latest report from OCM that came out, I want to say about two weeks ago, uh, that they're expecting about 380 retail spaces to open up across Minnesota. So that is telling us that the jobs are going to be there. The market is going to be growing as we hear more on how those businesses are going to roll out. Um, but I would agree with those business owners that we don't necessarily know every detail and what is going to be present there. So our programs really focus on the ground level of what an average retail space would entail from the workforce. 
And then we're working with those individuals that are um, not only experienced in this from whatever walks of life they came from uh, prior to taking our courses, but also for those that might be looking for maybe the next career change or maybe they're looking for something exciting to do part-time. Um, there's certainly a lot of education around this and a lot to really uh, hone in for the training. So are they? do you have to be accepted to St. Paul College or can anybody take the course online? Nope, that's a great question. So anybody can take the course. There's no uh, application or anything like that. It's not like if you're applying to one of our two-year programs. So these courses are all ran through our non-credit department, which is the Workforce Training and Continuing Education Department. So all of our classes are uh, paid basically as you go. We do have payment plans for folks that might want those as well. Um, So we are trying to minimize as many barriers as possible for students. Each certificate that we offer is $750. And uh, like I said, there's payment plans where you can basically pay in thirds as you're going throughout the program for all nine weeks. How, what's kind of, what's the interest been so far? Yeah, it's been great. We've had so far over a hundred students that have enrolled in the program and we have a ever growing list of students that are interested um, that we keep following up with and making sure that they know that we are uh, right here and we're available. And then I would also just add in that there's been some community interest and we are uh, actively um, developing an educational advisory board that's not only focusing on the current coursework that we're offering online, but we are also starting to explore uh, what an in-person program may look like. Mm. Um, So we're in the early stages of that, but there's been a lot of um, just great attention around that. And I think the community is just really interested and willing and excited that this could be happening, uh, especially as we're looking at sort of the social justice and those that have been uh, impacted by you know, cannabis and, and the expungement process that we're hoping to see uh, be rolling out within the year. Brady Maleke is program manager for the Cannabis Studies uh, program at St. Paul College. So here's my hypothetical for you. So like if somebody's listening right now uh, and their son or daughter comes to them and says, Mom, Dad, I want to get involved in these cannabis studies. I want to do, pursue a job. And, you know, the older uh, American who says, well, that's, you know, I know it's legal now, but that that's giving me pause. What do you say to folks like that saying, you know, no, this is a this is a good way to pursue a career. Yeah, I can certainly understand, um, you know, the concern as any parent may have if their child comes to them. Um, but it's really no different than any other training program that's out there. There's going to be really great jobs um, that not only are currently here in the medical field, but also that will be here in that retail space. Uh, lots of great science that goes behind the programs itself. So there's a lot on plant studies, how the plant itself interacts with the body. Um, So it's not just a program about, uh, you know, let's learn how to get high or uh, what's what's the best pot plant that's out there. Um, It's really related to what are the workforce needs that we have. The other piece I would add in is just at the national level, we're seeing a lot of folks that are uh, around age 50, 55, up to that that later boomer generation that have actually started to use uh, cannabis products related to maybe some sleep issues, maybe they have some chronic pain that they're managing with this. Um, So we're finding that in those states that have legalized, this could be a really great benefit for those that may not want to um, necessarily have maybe a prescription um, that that, uh, could be affecting their body in a negative way. 
So I think there's a lot of really good positive uh, benefits from from this program. And I just think that it's a great avenue for those that are either, like I said before, looking for something part-time or just wanting to have an exciting change and really be at the forefront of a brand new industry that is just going to keep growing. We're talking to Brady Maleka, a program manager for cannabis studies at St. Paul College. I definitely think the jobs are going to be out there. Hopefully you can churn out enough students to fill all those jobs. Uh, Brady, just quickly before you go, Who's teaching the classes? Because this is such a new industry. I would imagine it's hard to find people that are so-called experts or have experience in this field. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Jordana. So the uh, educators that we have within the course are all at the national level. So we have partnered with a national company called Greenflower that provides um, much of the online training space that we currently have. So we have experts that have been in this industry for 10 plus years. The curriculum has uh, standards and guidelines behind it that have been really just found as best practices across the board in other states that have recreationalized. And then since we've launched those programs, like I mentioned, some of those in-person training opportunities, um, we've had some individuals that have reached out that have been in the consulting and educational space that we are um, starting really actively interviewing and, and sort of vetting to see is there something in an in-person environment that we can start working through too? Because we know that there are folks in the field that are experts that maybe were sort of hiding under a rock before all of this was legalized. Um, and now is their opportunity to be able to help those in their community to really learn, here's, here's what the product is, here's how we can sell it, here's how we can create a business, and here's how we hopefully can create some generational wealth that's, that's in this new industry. Very interesting stuff. Brady, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We'll continue to follow this story and probably have you on again sometime uh, once this stuff gets a little more uh, solidified and things get rolled out. Thanks, Brady. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Brady Maleka, Program Manager for Cannabis Studies at St. Paul College. See, I know Jeff Green's rolling his eyes, but this is a real thing. This is a real business, and this is going to be where the jobs are in AI, things like cannabis management. This is real. And growing. St. Paul College, 750 bucks for a certificate. That's a, a good deal for something that can get you a job. And not one joke during that interview. About, I know. Too bad no cannabis studies when I was – well, there was plenty of cannabis studies there, at Gustavus. There were trials in the late at 90s. Gustavus. There were tri- trials, clinical right. trials that were happening Nothing to do Gustavus. with course credit, unfortunately. <laughs> 1049 on News Talk. Actually, we're detrimental to course credit. 1049 <laughs> on WCCO. Did you sign up during the break? Did you get on stpaulcollege.com? If you think, you know, I often wonder, I mean, I love what I do. I love coming here and being with you and talking on the radio every day. But you'd rather be high advising people on the difference between indica and sativa. But it's like, okay, I'm 49 now. And you you wonder, okay, is this really it for me? Really? Like doing this show with me is not the pinnacle of your career? (laughs) Come on. It's all bad. I think that's what he just said. Talking (laughs) about sucks and boobs and every day. (laughs) No, but it's like... How late is it too late to try something new? And then like this is the, what appeals to me about this. I'm not saying that I'm going to go sign up, but it's like getting on the ground floor on something. And because that's what like you feel like you've missed those opportunities in life where you could get on the ground floor of something. Yeah. Boom. You grow along with the, the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like that's I think that's the appeal of stuff like this. Yeah. Right. It's like it's something yeah. new and, you know, you might not get rich doing it, but it's. Who knows? I think you might. Kids, millennials, and Gen Zers aren't really worried about that. Yeah. They're looking for an interesting job where they, you know, can go and, and 
enjoy it and travel and do their thing and um, less worried about getting rich. It's not the 80s anymore. And take home some gummies, too. I, I guess. Um, let's see. I, I'm 70, this texter writes, a former user of cannabis. We talked about it during social studies my junior year, and we're shown a short movie. Yeah, read from reefer yes. madness do you remember this movie i've, I've seen the movie it's it, like you know it's we gotta like, pull some sound reefer's gonna you know kill everybody and people are gonna turn and, into and teenagers are running screaming because they've gone insane from smoking pot i totally remember that um it was seriously studied in the 70s it was studied in the 70s and now it's being studied again but parents should not poo poo this uh this idea of getting some training in this field because it's a real thing. My, my uncle taught me the class when I was a kid. I'm an expert, as was he. What was the most bizarre class you took in college? Well, I did take wine tasting. Wine tasting. So, yeah, I took That was a full course. Uh, no, it was probably one credit. It was probably yeah. like a, you know, an, an elective or something that I just needed an extra credit for. So, and that was fun. We got to taste wines and, I mean, little small sips. Right. But we learned a lot about wine. And I think that was the most sort of. It was no underwater basket weaving, right. but it was it was wine tasting took, and it was useful. Yeah, and I took jazz studies. That's a good one. Right. And but the guy was But you know a lot about jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Art history was fairly useless to me though. We all had to take art history. And I I don't I mean, you I've weren't. been to the Louvre, but I don't know that I recall anything yeah. really important about that. Six five one four six one nine two two six most unusual class you took in either high school or college. And by the way, I think I'm going to be insulted about this text. Someone said, Jordana, I just saw your IG post or my Instagram post on at Jordana Verde. Go and follow me there and you can see my new hair because I posted my real hair. Yeah. I'm wearing, I'm not wearing a wig today for the first time in three years. And this texter says, you look just like Janet Wood from Three's Company. <laughs> Joyce DeWitt. You don't look like Joyce DeWitt. I don't know that that's a compliment. Oh, Joyce DeWitt was very attractive. Was she cute? Oh, Sure. But she was the ugly one compared to Suzanne well, Summers. Nah. Uh, Jill Hasday from the University of Minnesota. We'll talk about this uh, appeals court ruling on Trump's immunity. It's the big news of the morning. We'll hear about it on CBS and break down what it means with Jill Hasday next on CCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.